Hello and welcome to the Friday, May 22nd, 2020, moving toward a new normal edition of On Iowa Politics. And does anybody really want to go back to the old normal? And I sometimes wonder just how normal was the old normal. <laughs> this week, a king dethroned and election day without voters. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today, Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, a king dethroned. Remember when Steve King said he was going to get back his committee assignments? How did that work out? Uh, according to the most recent poll in the 4th District, uh, not so well because he's trailing State Senator Randy Feenstra now by a couple percentage points. Uh, with the June 2nd primary coming up here soon. I think this is the first poll that has shown Feenster leading the race. There have been numbers that showed him closing the gap. Um, or now I suppose we should say that King is closing the gap. Todd, um, it, it seems like King's political obituary has been written before, but um, it is, is it real this time? I think so. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of the, the age-old story of a... Of a comfortable longtime incumbent who gets out hustled and and booted i mean that's that's how long-term incumbents often exit and i think that's what we're seeing here he hasn't he hasn't run much of a campaign he didn't raise very much money i think he sort of banked on the fact that his people in northwest iowa would carry him through and and now it appears that they're looking for a perhaps a more effective model than, than a congressman who no longer can serve on committees and and is more known for his talk about white supremacy than any accomplishments that he's actually had in the in the you know nine terms he's been serving in the US House of Representatives. So yeah, I mean we've seen this lots of times in Iowa where you've got you've got a congressman or or, or another office holder who's just kind of hung around and to the point where they think it's, you know, that the office is, is theirs to own, and they find out abruptly that that's not the case. It kind of seems to me that this is one of those cases where, you know, Steve King said things that people liked that maybe they thought, but they um, were afraid to say themselves, and he said them. Uh, but maybe now it's like, hmm that's kind of embarrassing to have some, you know, our congressman out there saying those things and doing those things. And it, it, it does, like you say, Todd, feel like he's overstayed his welcome and people are just kind of yeah. like to get rid of him. Well, and I, you know, I don't, I don't think Randy Feenstra's views on immigration or, or some of these issues are going to be all that different from Steve King's, frankly, they'll just be, you know, not as probably as brash, uh, but I think the effectiveness, the effectiveness arg arguments finally caught up to King because he has, I mean, most of what he's accomplished is making liberals angry and getting news coverage and, and getting attention for the ridiculous things he said. And he just hasn't delivered for the district in, in a way that, that people like to think that their congressmen are out there swinging for them and, and, and trying to get them, you know, the help for the problems that they have in the district. So yeah, that's been an argument against him for a long time. And I think, uh, you know, his opponent, Randy Feenstra, is finally the, the right candidate to deliver that message at the right time. So, Todd, do you think that if King loses this primary, 
that will sort of allow him to speak his mind freely for the re- remainder of his term. You know that he can he can really say what he thinks. <laughs> I I don't know how much more freely he can speak, but I suppose we'll find out. I mean, that's yeah. He's he's going to be he'll he'll probably go into you don't have Steve King to kick around anymore mode, and and it could and it could be it could be it could be pretty interesting. Yeah. I saw the Feenster TV ad the other day where he's driving the truck. And at the time I thought, geez, why are they showing that over here? And then I was like, oh yeah, it, the, the Waterloo market uh, takes in a, a, a sizable chunk of, of the district. Um, there's, there's also a first district GOP primary. Uh, is Thomas, Thomas Hansen going to win that? <laughs> I don't, I, I, I think Thomas Hansen is is in the race, but I I, I don't think he's going to win. It seems like I, I think, uh, I think Ashley Henson's probably a pretty good bet in that one. The state yeah. representative from um, Hansen. Uh, the best part of his campaign is the parody accounts that people are running that uh, poke fun at both uh, Ashley Henson and, and Abby Finkenauer. Um, and, and sometimes they almost read like somebody who is running their own parody account, but I've been assured that's not the case, that the, these are folks who are just having fun toying with Thomas Hansen. But, um, well, you might as well have, you yeah. might as well have fun if you're uh, not going to win. Interestingly, the, the Hinson campaign is uh, sort of bragging about its fundraising that uh, it, in this latest period, it raised about $5,000 less than uh, Abby Finkenauer, the incumbent. And, um, Looking at fundraising in the first district, this might be the hottest race um, uh, in Iowa this fall. Um, both of these uh, women are raising a lot of money and look look like they're going to be a you know it's going to be a very competitive race. Uh, looking ahead to November, uh, I had an email from a reader this week who gave me the scoop on Democratic plans for the presidential election. She said that if Biden wins, they're going to have him declared incompetent and the vice president, who will either be Michelle Obama or Nancy Pelosi, will be running the country. Hmm, that's yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's big, if true. <laughs> yeah, it was just. Yeah, you know, but, uh, you know, you can't discount these readers they're the, the you know <laughs> well, they're, they're always right yeah, finger on the <laughs> ear to the ground you know you gotta you can't no. discount it yeah <laughs> i i i like the part about i like the part about declaring the president incompetent and <laughs> is there is there like a would that would there be like some sort of ceremony for that? Would the party you know, call a, I wonder how that would work. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it happens, you've heard it here first, both the, the secretary of state, um, the parties, the candidates, everybody is encouraging voters to vote by mail in the June 2nd primary election. I, I think uh, Friday today is the last day to request an absentee ballot. So as soon as the podcast is over, get your request in the mail. Um, one county auditor told me uh, that he basically expects that it'll be 
no one showing up on June 2nd. He said when you when you're getting absentee uh, ballot requests from 70 year old voters who have never voted by absentee, uh, he says, you, you know, there's not going to be much in-person voting going on. Amy, what's your sense of what Election Day is going to look like? Um, are there going to be any significant numbers of people showing up in person? Todd, um, there's been a push by campaigns to lock in those early votes for a number of election cycles. And uh, I guess what I'm wondering, well, I mean, some states in the West and the Northwest have gone to all mail-in voting. Is this election cycle likely to be a huge experiment in vote by mail that will sort of fast forward these changes uh, in election operations um, that otherwise would have taken decades to bring about? I mean, this is, it seems like a huge experiment. Well, my, my dog says yes, and I agree with him. Um, he's <laughs> the, the, the uh, I mean, yeah, part, part of the, you know, for folks that, part of the reason some folks like to vote in person is because they've never voted by mail. They don't necessarily, you know, having never done something, it's easier to just do what you always do. And so with this election, with a large number of voters who haven't voted absentee, voting absentee, learning that it's simple and, and that they, you know, can convenient. I think you'll see that expansion of absentee voting hold. And of course that will lead to probably other changes uh, that, yeah, over, you know, in normal circumstances would have taken a long time, would have taken demographic shifts and, you know, uh, so yeah, I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, what, what I, you know, what I'm interested to see is what happens for the uh, for the general election because I mean in Iowa we we had a Secretary of State a Republican send out absentee ballot request forms to every registered voter people welcomed that praised that move lots of people use them to get ballots uh, but you've got the president ripping folks in Michigan and other states that have done the same thing of course they're Democratic administrations I'm. I'm just, it's going to be interesting to see in Iowa in the general election with that kind of pressure from the top of the ticket and all of the other political considerations, what the mail-in voting situation looks like in the general election and whether it's going to be as, as easy and convenient. I mean, that's, I hope it is, but I, it's going to be it's interesting to see how outside dynamics affect what, what's done here. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. The president hasn't teed off on Iowa for sending out the, the ballots. But um, I mean, it's just, well, I don't know. It's one of those things he does that uh, doesn't make any sense to a lot of people, uh, including myself. But um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, it, it seems like this is going to have a, a lasting impact. Um, there are some states, I think California, uh, the governor has said it's going to be universal mail-in voting. There won't be any in-person voting. Checking with various people uh, at the state level, attorney general's office, governor's office, secretary of state, um, it doesn't, they don't think it's very clear whether or not the governor of Iowa has uh, the authority to order all mail-in voting under the emergency powers that the governor has. Um, and I don't get the sense that she's going to test that, um, uh, you know, order it and let somebody challenge her on it. But uh Todd, when you think about um, sort of the the social aspect of voting uh, that's been a tradition 
especially in rural America, uh, is that Norman Rockwell painting uh, America at the Poles, um, which I have to mention was inspired by a election day visit to Cedar Rapids. Is, is that aspect of election going to be lost? Well, I I think under normal circumstances, with you know, if, without a pandemic uh, affecting things, I, I think people will still there still will be people that want to vote on election day, want to go to the poll, want to get their I voted sticker. I think what we'll probably see is maybe a consolidation of polling places. Maybe there won't be as many as there are now. We're already seeing that in the primary. Uh, that you know maybe it won't be. You know, there it won't be maybe quite as convenient to vote at the polls as it is now, where you don't have to go very far. Maybe you'll have to go across town or to another part of town to vote, or maybe to the auditor's office or something like that. Because there's always been a problem with a lack of poll workers. They they've always you know have to kind of scrape up you know enough people to fill all the slots at all of those precincts. So yeah, I think that we'll see that change. I would be surprised you know if we see a complete switch to mail-in balloting, especially in, in states like Iowa. I, I think there still will be polling places. There just may be fewer of them and they'll just be less, you know, less convenient. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if I show up at my polling station June 2nd, will I have to take off my N95 mask so they can verify my voter ID? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe you should just pin your ID to the mask. Oh, there we go. There's a solution. I like that. <laughs> no, they still couldn't tell if it was you. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can send us fan mail at podcasts at thegazette.com. And although Michael Franken says there was only one major newspaper in Iowa, it doesn't bring you on Iowa politics. Fortunately, you can find us on the home pages of the Quad <laughs> City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Kelly Parta Cooper will take us out. And if you know an Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. For Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Let my country home I left the fields and plains Feel the desert wind Escape the rain She saw me coming From a thousand miles away She took my hand Passed my name 
Touch the floor 